Welcome everybody to episode 31 of the Hopeful Majority. It is the new year. Happy 2024. Well, actually, I don't even know if I can say happy 2024 anymore. We're like 10 days in, so I don't know when the happy new year thing stops. Also, if you're new to the show and you're wondering, well, why does this guy sound like he's being waterboarded or extraordinarily nasally or feels like he's swimming underwater? It's because I've been struck by an illness. I don't know what, but it seems like something's going around as the new year comes around. I was traveling home to Boston visiting family. I'm now back in San Francisco, so I probably caught something there. And also, if you're new, remember, every Monday, we drop a weekly conversation. Usually, it's an interview or a conversation with an amazing and awesome guest, followed by a monologue by me. It's an amazing conversation. We have had people like presidential candidates. We've had political figures, celebrities, et cetera, you name it. And it's really interesting to see that from Spotify, Apple, YouTube, all these different platforms that we're on, how the growth has been. And 2024 is going to be a big year. This episode is not going to be an interview or conversation because it's the first episode of the year. And so what I did instead was I took five lessons that I learned from conversations in 2023 to help us understand how we survive 2024. So five lessons to survive 2024. Let's get into that. Five lessons to survive 2024. Well, before we actually get into the theme of these lessons, it's important to understand why did we actually build the show and why is it called The Hopeful Majority? To somebody that might just be listening to this right now, they're like, The Hopeful Majority, that sounds like some kumbaya, kooky, let's all hold hands, you know, strength group. Here's why I call this thing The Hopeful Majority. Traveling the country for the last six, seven years, I feel like I've come across so many different people of so many different backgrounds, ideas, ethnicities, identities. And no matter who you talk to, most people simply want to have a nice civil conversation. Most people want to disagree productively. Most people are okay with being friends with people that are politically different than them. Most people, frankly, don't even think about politics. And yet we seem so incredibly divided. And so I feel like there's a hopeful majority of temperamentally moderate people like you and I that are open-minded, that are curious, that want to have that conversation. And really the show is for us. It's to elevate and build a world in which we're fighting nuance, where we're building a, a sense of understanding, where we are allowing people to be complex, nuanced individuals, where we fight outrage, where we try to push back against those 20 second clips where we try to create long form content of people that are politically indifferent and diverse, because I think that that's actually the recipe to pull off this very ambitious democratic experiment. That's why we created the hopeful majority. It's to prevent what I think are the ideological extremes, the, the small 10% on both sides from essentially monopolizing and ruining the conversation and ruining political discourse and democracy for the rest of us. In other words, the hopeful majority was created to fight that one crazy uncle and that one crazy niece who is going to ruin the entire family for the rest of us. That's why. Also, if you're on YouTube and you're watching me drink out of red solo cup, it's throwback to my uh, rogue college days. It's just water. Okay, it's water. It's because I'm sick, but I care about this and I care about you. So five lessons to survive 2024. And those lessons are, again, building off of that theme that there's a hopeful majority of temperamentally moderate people that want our democracy and our country to thrive and succeed. And yet we, we all seem to be held hostage by this temperamentally extreme group of people across the ideological spectrum who just believe in their ideological rigidity and zealotry. It's five lessons I learned. First, 
we're not as divided as we think we are, have the conversation. We're not as divided as we think we are, have the conversation. In episode two, I had a great conversation with Monica Guzman. In episode eight, I had a great conversation with Tom Fishman, where we talked about the fact that it's not a question of the majority of people in this country being incredibly divided and polarized. Instead, it seems like there are a few people on different ends of the spectrum that are being increasingly polarized. And what's happening is that we're only hearing those voices. And because we're only hearing these voices, we're ceding the battle space and the battleground to the most temperamentally extreme, the people that I call crazy, the people that do not want to not only have the conversation, but believe that they are right 100% of the time. And the other side is not only bad, they're evil. And as a result, when you talk to a normal person, they only hear those crazy voices, so then they associate those crazy voices with the other political side. So if I'm a Democrat, I'm on a conversation with a Republican, and a Republican asks me, you know, what do you think of most Republicans? I'll probably say that most of them sound like some crazy doofus that I saw on some very alt-right network, because that's the only voice that's breaking through. And yet, that's not the majority of Republicans. Or if you are a Republican and you ask a Democrat, you know, or a Democrat asks a Republican, what do you think of most Democrats? They're going to say, well, there's some crazy socialist communist people that don't believe in it. No, that's not true. Most Democrats probably also want to have that conversation. So the question is not whether or not we're divided. It's whether or not we're willing to have the dialogue, whether or not we're willing to extend an olive branch to people that are different than us, whether or not we're giving people the chance to be better, whether or not we're creating a space and an open environment where we can actually see each other and to understand and empathize, why do you believe what you believe? You know, this might be shocking to you, but a lot of people arrive at their conclusions and their ideas because of their own life experiences, which are equally valid and legitimate, just like yours. And so I've got a fascinating proposition. What if we hear each other out? Lesson number two. There is an outrage industrial complex and we're all being played. Episode 29, I had on a fascinating filmmaker by the name of Rob Feldon. Before him, I had others that also mentioned this and talked about this. But there seems to be people in the country that are making money, that are building their brands, that are growing their influence because of everyday people like you and I's capacity to be divided. What do I mean by that? If you go on social media right now, I had a great conversation with Victor Xi in one of the episodes, who's a rising Gen Z Democrat. And Victor talked about this. Influencers are oftentimes creating content that they know is intentionally incendiary because they know it will go viral. And the reason why they know it will go viral is because people like you and I are going to click on it. And as a result, what you have is this virtuous cycle of an outrage industrial complex. And what is that outrage industrial complex doing? Well, what it's doing is it's fundamentally feeding off of our desire to click on crazy bullshit and then essentially weaponizing that and scaling it. And so then what you have is an entire industry of people of what I call the temperamentally extreme. Remember, not ideologically extreme. This is not about creating a bunch of squishy moderates. I have very strong beliefs. You probably have really strong beliefs. This is about fighting a battle of behavior, of mindset. We have strong beliefs, and yet we're ready to listen. We have strong beliefs, and yet we're willing to criticize ourselves. In this scenario, what's happening is that we are being fed content, information, dialogues that are meant to cause us to think that the other side is crazy and insane. So forget polarization, forget politics. 
do you really want to be played? Do we want to be pawns in the fat cats game to essentially enlarge their pockets? Do we want to make our political and politicians' lives easier? Because believe it or not, when the country's this divided, it's incredibly easy to run for president. It's 50-50. You got to convince 1% of the other side to jump out on board. Or you got to convince 1% of your side that the other side's evil and they'll start voting for you. So let's break out of that. Lesson number three that I learned. Be curious and say, I don't know more. Be curious and say, I don't know more. There's two episodes that particularly stand in mind when I think about this lesson. The first is episode number 30, actually the last episode of 2023 with Kelly Corrigan, who's a fantastic storyteller, author, journalist, podcaster. And Kelly and I were having a conversation. She wrote this book called Tell Me More. And in that book, one of the most powerful phrases that she identified was, I don't know. Why? Because when you say, I don't know, suddenly the conversation becomes much less about winning and it becomes much more about a search for truth. There's a certain sense of vulnerability to saying, I don't know. It's almost like saying, well, let me learn a little bit from you. And in this world, in, especially in 2024, with rapid advances of AI, and you see a political race that is fascinatingly uncertain, and you see rapid industrial, technological, economic change happening, the world is becoming increasingly uncertain. And anybody that tells you they know exactly what's happening is either full of it or lying. They're probably a part of the outrage industrial complex. So saying I don't know more opens the door for us to learn and navigate a world that is increasingly complex. And lesson, and second part of this lesson came actually from episode 25, where I had on David Gergen, who's advised four presidential figures from Nixon, Ford, Reagan, Clinton. Yes, he's basically, as I affectionately call him, the Dumbledore of American politics. And David told me the story about John F. Kennedy where somebody asked, you know, one of the aides to John F. Kennedy after JFK passed, what did JFK think was the most important virtue? And you'd think he'd say, you know, courage, bravery. And yet what he said was that JFK believed that the most important virtue is curiosity. He said, curiosity? Why that? That seems like, I don't know, something that people that are relatively squishy and uncertain believe in not some trailblazing presidential figure that navigated the most controversial, dangerous times in our country's history, like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, the Cuban Missile Crisis comes up. David tells me the story. So during the Cuban Missile Crisis, you had Kennedy had 11 different advisors, most of them military generals, intelligence officials. And all of them, when the Soviets uh, had missiles on Cuba, all of them were saying, we should attack the Soviet Union. He had 11 opinion and the majority of those opinions were saying, attack, attack, let's launch, let's escalate. Now, if President Kennedy had listened to that opinion, we might not be here today. So what did Kennedy do? Well, JFK decided to employ a virtue called curiosity. We started questioning. He started asking. He started saying, I don't know. He brought in his brother, Robert F. Kennedy, brought in other advisors. And by the end of that crisis, they navigated a world in which they would have launched nuclear conflict. And instead, they found peace and resolution. And essentially, the Soviet Union backed off. And we backed off the brink of what I would think would be existential crisis. Be curious. Stay humble. I think that's something that I will personally try to employ, especially in the conversations of the hopeful majority. Lesson number four. 
Have perspective. America's only 250 years young. Have perspective. America's only 250 years young. You're like, Manu, 250 years. Dude, an average human lives like 70 to 80, maybe 90. 250 is three times that. And yet, you're right. If you measured the span of American ambition and empire and country and democracy from the standpoint of a human life that's incredibly short, and yet, how small is a human life compared to the existence of societies and civilizations? Minuscule. You know, the the Chinese Empire lasted for 1,800 years. The Roman Empire lasted for around 1,200 years. Athenian democracy lasted for 400 years. The fact is that the United States at 250 years is not at the end of its experiment. It's just at the beginning. Chapter one, maybe chapter two, depends on how long are the books are that you read. And I had a great conversation on episode three and four, episode three with Professor Jeremy Suri at UT Austin, where we talked about loving America, where we discussed the fact that if you look at America in not a five-year, 10-year, or even the fact that we look at America in like 20-second timelines, or we look at our world in, you know, 30-minute Twitter threads, of course the world looks like it's going to shit. And yet if you take a step back, and you adopt a 250-year perspective. What this moment looks like right now is simply a trough in a series of valleys. And the question is not whether or not we're willing to surrender to that trough, but whether or not we're willing to do what many generations before us has done, which is to step up, understand our sense of civic duty and responsibility, and own the next chapter in our country's history, in our democracy's history, in our world's history. Loving America means embracing its flaws and loving its strengths. Because when you love somebody, you understand that they have problems and you also understand the potential and the capacity they have to show to the world. That's what love is, at least to me. So that's Professor Suri's perspective. And then I had a great conversation with Isabel Brown, who's a conservative influencer, um, on episode four, where we talk about age. The founders... The average age of the founders was somewhere from 25 to 46, those that signed the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson was 33 when he was writing the Declaration of Independence. The fact is that this country was built by people that are simple, that are understanding, and that are relatively young. So have perspective. If we only look at the next election and have that in front of us, the fact is, we've always seen that cycle play out. And yes, this election matters. It's important. Believe it or not, this year, 50 democracies are going to go through elections. 3.2 billion people are going to cast ballots. The world is going to change significantly at the end of this year. But guess what? There have been many global changing years in human history. In the last 300, 400, 500 years. So the question is not... Let's be complacent. I'm not proposing have perspective to subdue ourselves into some ignorant bliss. Instead, perspective gives us the ammunition to keep moving forward. It gives us the ability to stay motivated, to overcome that outrage industrial complex. Lesson number five, put aside politics, forget elections, forget democracy. Talking to people you disagree with, making friendships is good for your mental health good for your mental health. I had on uh, Seth Kaplan, episode 24, who's a professor at Johns Hopkins, and he studies battled conflict states and failed states across the world. And one of the things he brought to my attention 
was that Vivek Morthy, the Surgeon General of the United States in 2023, identified not diabetes, not heart disease, not even COVID. Loneliness is the national epidemic. He identified our fraying civic connection, our lack of trust for each other, growing isolation, staying in our screens and not caring about anything else, not having relationships, friendships as the crisis facing our country. And I would say that that's actually the crisis facing the world because, frankly, I don't know whether or not humans are meant to live the way that they're currently living. But all that to say that the loneliness epidemic that's happening right now, the mental health crisis, I think that a lot of mental health challenges, especially at this moment, as Vivek Morthy outlines in the Surgeon General Report, having conversations, listening, building relationships, creating social capital, social bonds, strong, vibrant communities, that's a key component. So forget politics. We can battle loneliness. We can battle mental health crises. This is not just a question of succumbing to where we are right now. And so with that, I want to end with a final note. I had uh, three very interesting conversations in 2023 that haven't been brought up yet. One was with Andrew Yang in episode 12. Second one was with Vivek Ramaswamy in episode 17. And third one was with Marion Williamson in episode 22. All that have been past or current presidential candidates. And Vivek is currently making a lot of waves and splashes. And I want to share something I learned, not from others, but from my own conversations with them. Something that I found implicit in those conversations. I was having a great dialogue with Vivek, and one of the things that became apparent was as him and I were talking one-on-one over a long form, he did not sound the way that you would think he sounds normally. Like when you look at a presidential candidate like him on the news, it's just firebomb, firebomb, flamethrowing, taking people out, Twitter hits. It is an absolute war zone. And yet I'm sitting down with this guy who's very accomplished, has a lot of strong ideas, and I'm just listening. I'm like, dude, you sound pretty constructive and open to changing your mind. You sound like you actually want to have a good conversation. And in that moment, I realized, and I had the same experience with Andrew Yang, who's amazing, and Marion Williamson, fascinating ideas, that in some ways, we think that our politicians lead. And yet, we actually have the power to shape our leaders' behaviors because I don't think politicians lead. I think they follow. I think politicians are like weather vanes. They try to understand which way the populace is feeling and going, and then they tap that. They follow trends. They're not building new trends. Vivek, in my conversation, I think part of the reason why I was so productive and open was because he knew that what I wanted was I wanted a conversation that was open and productive, not some five-minute Fox News hit clip. We can actually shape the way that our politicians and our leaders behave and act in 2024 if we demand the demands of the hopeful majority, if we demand that our leaders be more open-minded, more curious, if we demand long-form conversations, if we demand people to be willing to say, I don't know, because the fact is that most of us don't know. And some of us might know some things, but not everything. Nobody knows everything. And so the question that I would posit is what are you willing to do this year to shape the behavior of our leaders? And not just the question I would posit, I'd throw this out, a call to action, that as we build this hopeful majority, as we continue every week to have fascinating conversations, as we talk to students, Uber drivers, 
other candidates, political leaders, intellectuals, celebrities, you name it, as we navigate the complexity of human nature and our politics. What we have to remember is that we have tremendous power and capacity to shape the way that the world ought to look. Because if we forego our sense of agency and our capacity to shape things, well, we don't have much left. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest, amazing listener, amazing audience, maybe a guest. Definitely in my brain, I think about you a lot. And as I drink this red solo cup, if you're in Spotify, take a look on YouTube and water. I just want to tell you that we're going to take the show to new heights, you and I together. Duncan, our amazing producer, I hope that you can edit out any coughs or anything that I had. Please, I know I sound nasally. I appreciate you staying with me. Every Monday, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever we get your content, we've got a hopeful majority to build you and I together. Leave a like on YouTube's rate the show on Spotify, Apple, every bit helps because remember, we're building nuance, fighting outrage. We've got an outrage industrial complex to fight. We've got conversations to have. And most importantly, you have the power and capacity to shape how our leaders think and operate. I'll see you next week.